Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit BiteRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Reverend and Dr. Karen E. Herrick, and we'll be talking about her work as well as her new book, Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal. Over the last couple of years, many people have experienced grief and loss in one form or another. The overwhelming anxiety, fear, and depression surrounding grief and loss can keep a person stuck in negative patterns that affect their entire life. While some people experience deeper levels of these patterns, such as addictions and substance abuse, more and more people are reporting to have had a spiritual experience that has transformed their life for the better. A recent Gallup poll showed that 41% of Americans have had a profound spiritual awakening that changed the direction of their lives. The Atlantic shared that those who have spiritual experience find a greater understanding of life, higher well-being, and more love through an exploration of the transcendent. Dr. and Reverend Karen Herrick has spent decades researching spiritual phenomena, how this information impacts mental health and the overall and overall well overall well-being, and the need for educating mental health professionals on these experiences. For more information, you can visit her website which is www.karenehere.com, and that's K-A-R-E-N-E-H-E-R-R-I-C-K.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Karen to the show. Good day, Karen. Good day. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. Thanks. Good, good. Hey, well, I'm looking forward to our show and our discussion. Um, these are the psychology and paranormal are two of my favorite topics. And to have them in one show is, is kind of a, a unique and, and great thing to have today. So, um, let's just, let's start with, um, your, when, when did your, um, interest or, or how did your interest in the paranormal um, it probably began in 1986 when um, I had a uh, an experience um, where I, I felt another breath in my body. I was at a conference, and we were doing holotropic breath work, which is a um, something that was founded by Dr. Stan Groff, and he was doing um, experiments with LSD and things, and then that got to be a no-no. So he... Um, <laughs> developed this breath work where you would um, breathe in and then breathe out forcefully. And um, they played music that would activate your chakra system. Um, so that's your um, invisible chakras all along your spine. And they vibrate. <clears throat> and uh, they're all along the vagus nerve, too, which is another thing I studied. We can talk about that later. Um, but anyway, you, you lay there and you, you listen to this music and all these weird things happening inside your body, nice things. And then all of a sudden, I put my feet up in the birthing position. You're laying on pillows and a blanket, and um, I felt this breath come into my body and out my mouth. And I thought, whose breath is that? And one of the mm. directions, when um, they gave you directions on what to do, at first you had to lay down and they did a meditation, was um, don't think, just breathe. So when you think, your mental activity is raised. And, of course, they want your mental activity to be low so that things can happen in your body, spiritual experiences could happen. And they said anything could happen, so I, I, I didn't expect a thing. Um, I was with 21 people at this conference, and we were studying 
transpersonal psychology, which is, uh, includes Jungian psychology and all other kinds of psychology. But it studies, uh, this psychology studies other states of being other than your just waking state. So other states of consciousness. So anyway, this breath kept coming through me and I was breathing, the breath is breathing. And then all of a sudden, it got to be very chaotic. Yeah, you have a partner sitting there if you want water or something. And I said, could you push on my feet? And he didn't do it right, whatever that meant. I had no idea what that meant either. But the, um, the, the people that were running the conference, um, the instructors, they came over and one guy got behind my head and he put his arms by my shoulders and he said, hold onto my wrist and just, um, and just push. So I had no idea what I was doing, but I wasn't supposed to think about it. So I just was breathing and I was pushing and pushing and pushing. And I had this thought in, in there, where is my mother? And then I thought, why am I having that thought? And then I thought, don't think. So then you just go back to pushing <laughs> and, um, and breathing. So anyway, when it was over, um, I need to tell you, when I first went to this conference, my, I was raised in an alcoholic home, and my father was Protestant, my mother was Catholic. And so there was always this question of God. And um, I think I decided by eight or nine years old that God wasn't bothering with us because it's just too too chaotic. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I lived in upstate New York, so I would walk in the woods, and I thought, well, something created all this. And so I had, like, a, an idea, like, a, I think an American Indian would of uh, the wind having a force and and something created nature, and I didn't know what that was. So when I, when I, um, they said you were to stand up and not talk to anybody, um, and then you're supposed to go um, to this next room and draw a picture in this circle, which is a mandala drawing, which is a Jungian technique, and um, it's supposed to reduce chaos when you draw this picture. But I stood up and I looked around the room, and I had felt that most of these people were kind of weird, when I arrived on Sunday, and this was Wednesday, because they believed in reincarnation and all this stuff that I really didn't believe in yet. I had read about it, but, you know, it was mm-hmm. just not into my uh, thinking so right. much. And I thought, these people are really different. And But when I looked around the room, I knew I was connected to all of them and that we were connected to everybody in the world and that there was a God. Wow. And when I say that now, <laughs> my breath, my breath, you know, just taken away. Um, so I went in, and I, and I just had all this love for everybody. And I went in this next room, and I drew, and um, I drew a, a flower and grass and the sunshine. And I didn't know why I drew that, but they said just to draw. And then we were going to go to lunch because food grounds you and gets you back on earth. And I thought mm-hmm. this whole thing had taken about twenty minutes, but it had gone on three to four hours. So I had lost um, time and space, you know. And I was really yeah. out there when I when I went in to have lunch. I thought, wow, I really feel different. And I, I don't feel so grounded here. And we were at a, uh, mm. at a nunnery in uh, Connecticut on the water. It was a beautiful place. Anyway, that night, everybody went down for pizza and they watched a movie. I thought, I'm not leaving this place. I just need to be somewhere where I'm safe. And then as I thought about what happened to me, oh, and the professor, after we had lunch, we all met in a circle, and we all showed our drawings. So she saw my drawing, and she said, oh, well, that's a rebirth. You had a rebirth. And I mm. thought, oh, okay. Now, nobody mentioned the breath that came into their bodies, so I didn't want to act like I was anything unusual. So I didn't mention the breath that came into my body. <laughs> Because we always want to look smart about children from alcoholic families. So it took me about a year, year and a half to figure out that that was the Holy Spirit and that I had had uh, this experience where then I, after that, I felt my original birth. And it's harder to be born than it is to die. After all of my research, I think dying is a lot smoother, as long as you don't have a traumatic death. But um, right. anyway, that, that's how I got interested in it. And then people started coming into my practice that had all of these stories and I believed them because I had just had this thing happen to me that I couldn't tell anybody because they wouldn't believe me and I knew they weren't lying to me so I just started investigating all these different types of spiritual experiences near-death experiences and um, seeing your deceased mother in your bedroom and 
all that kind of stuff and having electricity not work in your house for a while after someone goes to the other side. And um, I I decided if um, these people were having these experiences, they came into my office, and I have had one, that there had to be other people having them. And then that's what I went to get my Ph.D., and my thesis was in naming spiritual experiences. Yeah. Boy, you know, one of the things that I have found is that people of, like, a scientific kind of um, education or or some people who um, have really not given much thought to the, you know, the paranormal, that once it happens to them, that personal experience is is what kind of shifts the paradigm and, and you know I kind of would wish that everyone would have one of those kinds of experiences because it does seem to um, shift the quality of life I think you know from the people that I've spoken with absolutely it does and and I think that's why we all have them you know and I think there's more I think you just did the Gallup poll with 40 some percent so it is 40 to 50 percent of the populations in the United States and Great Britain are having some type of spiritual experience as we speak. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait till it gets to be 50 to 60. And what's going to make it do that, I think, is just people talking about theirs. And then other people will mm-hmm. come out of the closet, so to speak, and talk about theirs, you know? Yes, I, I, I agree, definitely. Now, the the title of the book, Psychology of the Soul. Now, I remember from my psychology, my college courses, the soul was really, you know, not really talked about like, in the sense of a soul. I mean, there were certain okay. psychologists that had, that had um, you know, their theories, you know, about, you know, those experiences. So from, just from your, your work, how how would you describe the soul? pattern for your life. And Carl Jung believed that we all had a sole purpose in coming to Earth and that our job was to find it. What was our sole purpose? And that when we found it, uh, we would connect our purpose to our personality and we would be a much happier person. So I started, you know, going to Jungian workshops and he believed that the unconscious had an intelligence of his own and its own, and it was much more powerful than Freud's unconscious, which was just a repository for um, your family memories and sexual repression. And Jung said, we, we got, we've got more um, interest than that. And he wrote a book after six years of being Freud's friend, which in three days he was not Freud's friend anymore. He got kicked out. And, um, and then they said he was a mystic. Uh, someone who knew God, because his father had come from all these ministers, uh, grandparents and et cetera. Uh, and then people started, he had a private practice and he was successful, but uh, if he was president of this psychological association or whatever, they didn't want him there anymore because Freud didn't want him. So he started having these um, nightmares, and um, he would write down the nightmares at night. And... Um, and try to figure out the symbols in the nightmares. And after two to three years of this, he started realizing that he was forming analytical psychology. It was a different type of psychology. So that you want to know what's in your unconscious. Um, And he said there were five levels. So the first level is your life and what happened to you. And the second level is your parents' lives and how did they affect you. Your third level is DNA, all the ancestors you don't know left you, this, this, this DNA. And also, he said, left you jobs to finish that they didn't finish. But, you know, nobody tells you that. You don't come in with this script. And, um, and then the fourth layer was your culture or your country. How did that affect you? And then the last layer was your soul slash self. And um, so that the soul um, is 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 in there with your real self. And um, the more that you handle those first four levels in therapy or by yourself, um, your soul will eventually come trickling up, and you'll find out in life, especially if you are open and searching, uh, what is your soul purpose. Yeah. Um, 
One, I just recently had a show when one person was talking, we were talking about soul purpose, and and their comment was that they felt that there was really not one singular purpose um, of a soul, you know, that there are, that we may have many purposes, you know, that, um, you know, that we try and work with or toward um, in the lifetime. Do you do you feel that that you know? Because I know a lot of people really do that. You know, what is my purpose? You know, I mean that that big old question. You know, and that they're searching searching for a purpose. And you know, when when I was t- talking to her, it, in the idea of multiple purposes, it seemed to me that you know that. That that seemed to me to be more um, I don't want to say inclusive, but I mean it. It would seem that you know for those searching for a, a reason for their life, you know that there you know may in fact be multiple reasons. Well, I I would say that that would be like archetypes that come into your life. Now, um, archetypes no. are forms that have different characteristics and. The Greeks said they were forms, and they came in, and they affected our our life positive or, or negatively. And Jung called them archetypes, and, and he, you know, labeled them. Now you – I give an archetype mm-hmm. workshop where you can take a quiz, and uh, the first one is the innocent because we are – we come into this world as this innocent child. And then something happens in that innocence in, in our life to usually our childhood, uh, to uh, make us feel abandoned or um, not so loved. And um, then we fall into orphan. And then from orphan, a female would go into caregiving and a man would go into warrior, which now are, you know, people can share yeah. that for sure, men and women. Um, and, um, you know, they're, they're then the lover and uh, uh, the magician, which is the spiritual one, and, and your ruler. and uh, what kind of life do you want to make, right? And um, all all those different archetypes, I think, would be the different divisions of your Mm -hmm. purpose and and how you play all those different uh, characteristics out. I mean, I know I was supposed to be a therapist. I didn't really know that. Um, I, I knew I wanted to help people, and I wanted to help people in alcoholic families, and I started doing that. I started teaching at a college for two years, and then that got to be so time-consuming, and I had a practice that I just left school and did the practice. And um, and now I teach webinars online uh, with Jungian psychology because what I realized was in, in all this research was that William James had had a toddler son that he lost, he and his wife, and they went to a medium, and then he started studying mediums, and he called them mental healers at Massachusetts General, and they tested all kinds of things. And then Carl Jung's mother was psychic, and her his grandfather uh, was psychic, and he would sit with his second wife at lunch and talk to his first wife, who was deceased on the other side. So Jung watched all of this stuff, and he said his mother was a pretty good mother, but every once in a while she would say something that had nothing to do with the conversation, and everybody would just <laughs> ignore that. <laughs> but at night, you wouldn't go into her bedroom because there were all kinds of noises and voices in there. Uh, so he watched all these different levels of consciousness, and William James also, they wanted to know where did, where did their toddler son go, you know? And they both got interested mm-hmm. in mediumship, and um, and none of that is taught in colleges or universities, none of it. And I think it's such a shame, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, he had talked about, you know, getting that 40% up to the 15 and greater. Um, one of the – in your book, you um, talked about um, a psychological term called the sane hallucinations that was developed in the 1880s, um, and that if people understood what they were, that may help with hesitancy in talking about Experiences as he's um, so. Can you tell? I mean, I, and I hadn't um, heard that, the idea of seeing hallucinations. So can you tell us about that and, and how it may help I would, people yeah. communicate? I love I love that term because people fear when they have something like this that they're crazy. 
So isn't it nice mm-hmm. that you had a term that said sane hallucination, right? <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. this was in 1882, I believe, and um, there were five countries that um, did a survey. And <clears throat> the United States and Spain and Russia and uh, France, and I forget the other one, but England. So all those five countries, and they all got the same type of answers, and that was that within 24 hours of a death, people um, had a dream or saw their deceased loved one in their bed. It was always at night, and um, they the, the deceased person said they looked great. If they had been sick, they didn't look sick. They were happy. They were Their face was full of joy, and they just wanted to come say goodbye, and they wanted to tell you that. Uh, they're going home, and not to worry about them because they feel wonderful. And that you say they feel when they leave the physical body. It is such, it's like coming out of a sausage casing, they say, because it's so crowded in here, you know. And um, and they just feel so free. And, um, and then most of them think, well, what happened to me? Well, I'm dead, but I can still think, right? So there's still a spirit. Yeah. And they still have thoughts, and they can't talk to us anymore, but they can send us thoughts. But that term, same hallucination, then in 1888, they gave a conference in Paris, France, for psychologists who were interested in sane hallucinations. And then I think it just died, because unless you research that, you don't know about it. And I just think it should that should be brought back. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard about it. And, you know, as, like, like you had mentioned, you know, you were reluctant, you know, to kind of, you know, in your um, workshop to, to, you know, kind of express what was going on because <laughs> you didn't want to come across as one of the crazies, you know. Um, and, right. And I, think, and I think there are a lot of people that are still, you know, in that frame of mind, you know, that, you know, if anything, you know, out of the ordinary um, happens that, you know, there is, uh, you know, that that line, you know, that they may cross, you know, if, if they start sharing that kind of Now, um, one of the things um, we talked about in the book was that uh, the soul can be transformed by the Holy Spirit, which is how spiritual experiences happen. So can you tell us a little bit about the idea um, of, you know, Holy Spirit and the fact that that would be the source of spiritual experiences? Yes, I believe so. Mm -hmm. I think the Holy Spirit is in charge of that. Okay. okay. (laughs) It's got to be a great job. Yeah. I know. I know. I was going to say, yeah, really, I'd like to have that one. But. But um, when you say Holy Spirit, are you talking about just like, um, I mean, you know, God in general or, or you know? Well, the I Holy mean, Spirit to me it, is, mm-hmm. is the breath. Um, so okay. in Acts, I think it's Acts 1, um, after Christ died and he comes back and he shows himself and they all meet in the second floor of the, some building, and uh, the Holy Spirit, it, it says in the Bible, the Holy Spirit came in. Some people talked in tongues. Some people laid on the floor. But they all felt like they were receiving something spiritual. And then my idea, um, I don't know if I read this, or that they then had those, because the apostles, they, the, the apostles had the ability Christ had, but not until they had that breath in Acts 1. Um, then, they, then they were filled with this Holy Spirit, which is, which is to me the breath, and that's what I felt was the breath. Uh, but the Holy Spirit comes in and then can leave you at any time. It's very strong breath. I mean, it, sound, it feels like a masculine breath, you know, and um, it just mm-hmm. takes over. Um, so that yeah. to me is, is the breath, and, and that's the, the Holy Spirit would do the job for God, of making you more spiritual, uh, of making your soul come alive. Perhaps we can say it like that. Because your soul is contained in your physical body. Uh, it comes in when you're born. It comes in as an atom and um, uh, when you're conceived. And then your physical body grows around this atom. 
and then your spiritual body grows also. So the, the big news is that humans have two bodies. And if nobody takes anything from this hour, I would like them to take that away. You have two bodies. You have to remember that because it makes so much sense to know that. Because you have a physical body, you're walking around here, and then in the Bible, um, you know, Christ did all of these healings. So I think Christ was a medium, you know, a psychic mm-hmm. medium, and he, he made people well. But then the apostles got that gift from the Holy Spirit. And because there's a story somewhere about St. Peter who, like, there was a man blind, like, sitting at the post office. It wasn't a post office, but, you know, it was some kind of building. Um that government building, and he sold pencils or something. And then one day he met St. Peter, and St. Peter cured him of being blind. So that was a miracle, right? So mm-hmm. the apostles did miracles, and that is the one big reason Christianity made it. So saw all this, and then the loving ability of, you know, if we have a female child, we don't just leave her to die alongside the road, or if somebody is... Um, you know, uh, disabled, we, we take care of those people. And, and people like that. This was a kindness and, and they, and the Christians seemed happier because of all this. So I don't want to get too yeah. religious here because we don't have no. a religious audience in, in the United States, but um, <laughs> that's the part of the Bible yeah. that is real to me. Um, is yeah. the, the story about how Christ heals and the disciples heal. And, and that's what we have with mediumship now. I mean, if you go to um, Lilydale or down in Florida um, to where the mediums live, I forget the name of that um, place near near uh, Disney World, but uh, all the mediums there, a lot of them can heal, and they have a healing center somewhere on their property. And people go that are sick, and they get healed. So people don't realize that mediums and psychics, some of them have that ability. They all have different abilities, but they're given some kind of gift. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And, and, you know, I think that with the, see, my, for me, it, it happened, you know, my interest in, you know, mediumship and the paranormal happened when I was in college and met a clairvoyant, um, you know, did readings for a couple of my very good friends and, you know, they, at the end of them, they basically said, listen, there were, there were things that came out that literally they knew. Literally no one else knew. Those are things that they kept close to their vest. They didn't even, one woman said she didn't even tell her mother <laughs> what was going on, you know. And, yes, right. and so, and at that, you know, that time I was, I think I was doing, one of my courses was inferential statistics. So I was like, what are the odds, you know, that someone can pull this kind of information? So to me, it was like that information had to come from somewhere. And where was that, right. you know? And that yeah. kind of got me <laughs> on my, my crusade, or my, my, my discovery, line of discovery there. That's wonderful. Yeah. So we're about halfway through the show already. So I want to take just um, a quick break. And then when we come back, um, I want to talk a little bit about chakras. Um, in the book, you there's a chapter you discuss them as holes. And I kind of want to get, you know, your um, your view of that. And, and uh, we can go on from there, okay? So okay. Everyone, great. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, 
and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us. Again, today, my special guest is Reverend and Dr. Karen E. Herrick, and we're talking about her work, as well as the new book, Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal. Um, again, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is www.kareneherrick.com, and it's K-A-R-E-N-E-H-E-R-R-I-C-K.com. And on that website, you can find out more about this book, her other, as well as uh, Karen TV and um, videos as well, and, and courses. <laughs> so thanks for staying with me, Karen. Yep. Okay, great. So um, one of the, the areas you talked about in your book um, was about chakras, and you referred to them as holes. Um, so I'm curious, you know, as to why. I mean, I, I've you know, known about chakras, but, but I'm not, you know, I'm curious about what that, that view. Yeah. Why, why that works. Well, chakras, right. Chakras were first taught to me by Shirley MacLaine. Um, years ago, mm-hmm. Shirley MacLaine did some, did some workshops around the country. And, um, and I had been to a lot of different Jungian workshops where you learn to meditate. And what they do is they, you have seven large chakras in your body. And the first one starts at your spine. And then they go up the spinal column. And the last one comes out the top of your head where your soft spot used to be. Now, they are invisible. So you have to be clairvoyant to see them, okay? So I've never seen a mm-hmm. chakra other than, you know, in different shirts where they illustrate this energy. Um, so anyway, um, well, how did I find out about the whole? Oh, so I eventually, when I was studying all this paranormal material, I had a person call. It's the third chapter, I think, of my book. And she um, had prayed for 90 days for God to change her life. And she started seeing these um, spirits under her bed that were mean. They would spit or bite or, you know, be, you know, kind of gruesome. So she had got my name off the Internet, she said. I never did figure out where she got my name. But uh, the positive spirits told her that I would help her. And um, she lived above New York City. So um, at that time, I was asked to, to speak at a conference nine months later. And I was asked to speak on mediumship. And I had already spoken on the history of mediumship. And I had no idea what I was going to talk about in nine months. So I said, well, you have to come down here so, you know, I can meet you and you can meet me. And um, and then we'll do it by phone. I don't think we had Zoom then. And uh, so she came and met me. And anyway, we um, – and I told her I wasn't going to charge her. I said, you know, your sessions will be free because I have to speak in nine months on mediumship. And this sounds like you have mediumship abilities. So whether you have them or you don't have them, you are going to be my case study, and so I will not charge you, which made her very happy. <laughs> so anyway, she, you know, kept, we did this for about a year and a half, and, and her mediumship abilities uh, grew, and the spirits, the bad spirits left. And um, so then I was, um, I went out to Lilydale, which is that mediumship town out by Lake Erie, and they have mediums there from April to October, and some of them live there all year, but you can go in there in the summer and, you know, stay, and it's really a fun town to visit. And there was a museum there. And um, I went to the museum, and there was this three-ring binder on the table, and I picked it up. And I've been studying about the vagus nerve, which um, is the tenth and longest nerve in your body. It goes from the top of your head down into your stomach. And uh, Darwin said it was the pneumogastric nerve, and that would help you in panic and anxiety if you would do the vagus breathing, which is that you – Say you breathe in to the count of four, and then you breathe out as long as you can breathe out. So it's in one, two, three, four, and then out five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, as far out as you can go, which is not our normal way of breathing. But that lowers um, the anxiety in the vagus nerve because what happens with the nerve is it's triggered in the stomach and tells the brain danger, danger, and then your heart rate goes up. So that's 
how panic and PTSD and anxiety continue. So I was studying that. But um, I had asked, I don't know why, but I asked the teacher uh, up there at Cape Cod, do you know anything spiritual about the vagus nerve? And he didn't. <laughs> so I thought, anyway, so I'm at Lilydale and I look at these pictures and there's this woman dying on the table and her, you know, friends are hanging around. And then over in the right-hand corner of the picture are, you know, spirits coming from the other side, which people say that happens, you know, in the nursing home, et cetera. So, mm -hmm. and I turn the pages, and they, look, there's a cord from her stomach and a cord from her neck. And somehow I thought, that's the vagus nerve. And, and then it goes up with her as she dies. Um, so it, it, it is invisible. So um keeps track of 80% of what goes out on in your body. So I believe that that's where memory is stored, because nobody really knows where memory is stored. And then me that memory goes with you, because I saw it go up there. And I've also talked to mediums who have seen it um, when on people who have died. So anyway, we know that happened. So I come back and I will call my client Judy, and I said, Judy, I need to talk to your spirits. Now, I've never talked to them before. And um, I said, I want you to repeat what I'm saying. And she said, Karen, they can hear you. I said, okay. So <laughs> I'm talking to these spirits. And um, I said, I want to know, is the vagus nerve and the silver cord, are they connected? And they said, yes. And I said, how come I haven't read this or researched this at all? I haven't heard a thing about this. And they said um, that the people that were in charge of that, now, I didn't have the, comp the sense to say, what time period are you spirits from? And that's what you should always ask. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. the people that knew about that didn't want anybody else to know. It was a secret. Oh, it was a secret. Okay. So then Judy says, Karen, as you're talking to them, I see a chest over in the corner of the room that's not really there. So I see this invisible chest, and and um, and uh, this uh, black cloth is coming off, and it's getting brighter and brighter. And so keep asking the question. So um, so I said, well, I thought that mesmer uh, had something to do with you leaving the body, because by this time I figured out that this is how the soul goes from the solar plexus where it grows and stays in the spiritual body because the only purpose for your spiritual body is to take the soul to the other side. If the soul isn't born, it's created, so it never dies. And it has mm -hmm. to be taken back back up there, okay? So these invisible chakras around the vagus nerve are how you get your soul out of your body when you so-called die or when you have an out-of-body or when you have a... Um, uh, you know, spiritual experience, uh, mm -hmm. uh, near death. So I said to them, I'm forgetting the, the big part. I said, um, they said to me, mediums have bigger holes than we do. So I said, are holes called chakras? And they said, yes. So mm -hmm. that their chakras would be bigger, meaning they would have more energy as the chakras vibrate. And um, in, in my book, there is the, uh, uh, let me see, the uh, drawing that shows your different psychic centers in the body. And, um, you know, mediums can come into those different centers. The biggest one is right around your neck, and they can give you thoughts, right? That's where clairaudience, um, clairvoyance happens. Well, clairvoyance more third eye, but right around your head, Spirits can give you thoughts, or your guardian angel, or anybody else. So not every thought in your head is yours. And Carl Jung, when he was doing his dream work and all that, he had this guru called Philemon, and Philemon would come in his dreams, and he said, you know, you're so arrogant. You think that every thought you have is yours, and it's not. It comes from us, and we're trying to teach you things. So just the no. fact that mediums and chakras have bigger holes and bigger chakras made me understand better how they can get this information that we don't get necessarily. I mean, we have intuition, and we can and we can right. make our intuition better, you know. But you know, I can't tell you if you're going to die tomorrow, you know, like that some of them can. You know what I mean? Right. So those contacts yeah. in your body um, uh, handle different um, characteristics of your body, also. And 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 in yoga, yeah. you would you would have. Um, 
meditation, and you would meditate on all those chakras. That's what Shirley McLean used to do. I think Oprah had somebody on her show one time. I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, but Oprah did say one time on one of her shows on Sunday, she was interviewing a spiritual guy, and she said, how can I get good ideas in the shower? And he didn't know. And she said, well, some people say it's because uh, the water's hitting the back of my neck. And that's right, because it's hitting the vagus nerve. And right around the back of your neck is where spirits can leave you messages or give you messages. And, um, and, and in the shower, you're in standing meditation. And in the car, you're in sitting meditation. So both of those places, you can get very good ideas. So I always try to have a pad and a pencil in the bathroom and in the car. So if you don't write them down, you forget them. But that yeah, comes into yeah. that those base chakras around your neck, where the vagus nerve is coming in and going around and touching your amygdala, which is fight, flight, or frozen, and then it goes back down the spinal column and into your heart and into your stomach. Yeah, the the ideas in sour. I've heard that from many a part, and for me, I mean, it happens to me as well. You know that I mean, you're yes. like, I'll, I'll just be in that uh, in a zone, you know, you know, and, right. and it's, you know, just the feeling of the, the water on, on the back of uh, on, on the back uh, and, and back of neck. But um, yeah, interesting, interesting. So um, when it comes time for you know, you were talking about a little bit about uh, near death experiences. Um, yeah. One of the things that I I found surprising when I was reading it was that many people who experience near-death experiences um, also have, um, you know, anger, anger, depression, and, and, you know, problems with, you know, interpersonal relationships. Um, what, is, what is it about that kind of experience and I would, you would, one would think that if you get this glimpse into this greater realm, you know, of, of peace right. and, and love, that that wouldn't be the case. So, what, what yes. contributes to that? What contributes to that is the people in their family, when they return, all they can talk about is this near death or out of body experience, or I saw the light, I, I smelled the flowers, the music was wonderful. And they all say you have to stop talking about this because it sounds really crazy. And they don't believe it. Mm. So then they get angry and who can they talk to? And um, especially the near-death people, it takes them like seven years to tell anybody about their near-death. That's the average. So you're walking around wow. for seven years knowing that you left your body, out your vagus nerve. Now, your spiritual body is atoms, protons, chemicals, and it's all in this little bag. It goes up the top uh, uh, the top of your head, and then you come back in, and when you c- go out, the tunnel is your vagus nerve, right? So they know that this has happened to them, and um, uh, near-death experiences have, sometime after their near-death, uh, 79% of them get divorced. Wow. Well, yeah. Because, I, I just, be- yeah. because right. when they come back, their values have changed also. So um, maybe, you know, you come back and you don't want to be an architect anymore that's working, you know, 14 hours a day. You decide that you're mm-hmm. going to be a therapist out at the hospital, which cuts your salary like a third. And uh, and your wife doesn't like that. <laughs> but, well, I'm going to do yeah. that because I want to have yeah. better relationships. I want to take more time. I want to appreciate the now in life. And so, you know, the family just thinks you're nuts. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see where that would be the case. Um, now, yeah. in the in the book, um, also you reference uh, Dr. Kenneth Green, who was talking about, you know, the encounter-prone personality. You know, the right. people who the the people who are. Um, who experience child abuse or trauma were more likely to experience NDEs. So can you tell us, is that because they maybe during those traumas didn't exit (laughs) or kind of did a, you know, leave the body kind of thing? Well, when you have trauma, when when you're raised with trauma, 
you have the ability as a child and getting older to disassociate more than the average person who isn't raised in trauma. Um, so he, Kenneth Ring, wanted to know why did this group of people have near-death experiences and this group didn't, right? So he, he made this um, home inventory quiz, and he found that the, that the people that had the near-death, they had had incest and they were beaten and um, they were raised in just very chaotic, you know, dysfunctional homes. And so they disassociated in the room so they didn't have to remember what was happening. So then as an adult, mm -hmm. if they're in a car accident or on the, a table having a heart operation, they're going to leave their body and disassociate easier than someone else. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I can see that. I was, I was, I mean, as I was reading that, it was something that I hadn't even given thought to, you know, the idea of um, becoming more encounter prone, you know, through one's, yes. um, you know, younger experiences. Amazing. Wow. Now, I mean, that's, that's the gift that they get yeah. from living in trauma. I don't know how much of a gift yeah. you can't tell anybody for seven years, but you have to come out of that. You know, that's part of your learning, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it seems that, you know, the idea is to – the experience of life is, is to expand the soul or, or to uh, – Growth to provide growth or transformation to the soul. It, it, would you yes. would you say that that is kind of you know why we're here in a way? Yes, it is why we're here, and you're supposed to live your life and live it strongly, you know, um, so that you can enjoy it and grow, you know. And trial by fire is you know what Jung talked about. I mean, we all come down here with something that we have to get get through or get over. Um, you know, I, I remember living in an alcoholic home thinking, watching my mother and thinking, if I ever marry an alcoholic, I'm not staying, you know. Mm. <laughs> and, of course, my mm. second marriage, I married an alcoholic because that's familiar. <laughs> no. and, um, right. and I thought, you know, well, i got to evaluate this whole thing. My father went to a bar, didn't come home till 3 o'clock in the morning, and my, um, my right. husband who worked for a large corporation came home every night between 5 and 6, but went straight to the bar at the house. Mm. And so it looked oh, like yeah. a different kind of person, you know? So it took me a mm -hmm. while to figure out what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems that, um, you know, if we don't learn a lesson or, if, if you know, if, if we um, don't take to heart, you know, some of the things that, that we learned um, that, you know, life is going to give us another chance <laughs> to oh, try and yeah. – to, to grow. So, um, and, and you mentioned um, Jung. Jung. Um, one of the things um, you talked about in the book too was the idea of um, union concept of synchronicity, and how it's a, kind of a first step in acknowledging a spiritual part of life. So, you talk about. I mean, do have, do you have synchronicity happening around you, and, and have you noticed? maybe an increase in it in your life? Um, what I, I think a synchronicity has increased for me uh, around transition times. You know, when I think about hmm. changing this or changing that, wow. um, and then I get different um, messages. Um, and synchronicities are what we call in America meaningful coincidences, although they're deeper mm -hmm. than just, um, but like you could lose your job and be at the post office on Wednesday at 9 o'clock and, you're not usually there on Wednesday at 9 o'clock, and, and you meet somebody you knew in second grade, and he has a company, and he has a, a job for you. Um, so that's, uh, um, you know, a synchronicity. Um, and Jung had a client who uh, she wasn't doing too well in therapy, but, but she came in one summer day, and she had this dream about this black bug, and she was going on and on about this bug, and, and he's taking notes, and then he said he went to open the window because it was June, it was hot. They opened the window and this black bug flew in and landed on the carpet and it was alive. And, uh, now that would be a nice synchronicity. She dreamed about it the night before and it was on the carpet the next day. But added to that, it was a scarab bug from Egypt and it was alive. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> so he, he said, 
you need signs. And he said after that, her therapy just moved like he could believe. So that somehow opened her that synchronicity. She said, I can't believe that's on the carpet. He said, I know. But these things happen, and it's a mystery of how they happen. Yeah. Yeah, it, I've, I've noticed, you know, ever since I started giving attention to, you know, when synchronicities happen, you know, kind of taking a moment, a pause, you know, and just um, right. give, you know, you give that little bit of, you know, first of all, I say thank you, you know, because it's like I get the feeling that, you know, there were, you know, this is one of the things that kind of tells me I'm right where I should be, when I should be, you know, and boy, that's a good feeling to know that, you know, even if it's, you know, it's some something random, you know. Um, but but nonetheless, that to me, it, it, it's it, that's the case, and um, so I, I enjoy synchronicity, and and I think for me, it you know, it happens. Um, you know, it, I wouldn't necessarily would transition for me, but I mean, it 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 happens when you know I maybe have that sense of detachment from, you know, what's going on in life, you know, that, that maybe, yeah. maybe I'm on the wrong track, so to speak. I was, um, I was going down, Raymond Moody was a consultant on my committee, and I had to go down to um, South where he lived and um, give him a proposal for a couple of hours on what I had learned in reading all his books and everything from my PhD. So in the, on the plane, I'm reading this, um, article is um, from, I don't know, some magazine about the golden rule. And so I'm reading that, and that's nice and all that stuff. And anyway, I get off the plane, and I go to rent a car, and they, um, at the car dealership, you know, rental car, um, you know, just talking to the gal and everything and getting it, tell her where I'm going. And she says, oh, on the road. She said, on the road that you're going to be on. She said, you have to stop at this restaurant because it's going to be dinner time by the time you get there. And she said, it's the best restaurant around, and it's called the Golden Rule. <laughs> you know, that's so funny. that's just a nice, right? Yeah. <laughs> How does yeah. that happen? Yeah, that, yeah, I know. I agree. I agree. I, I love when it happens. Um, so, uh, Karen, what, what do you hope that the reader is going to take away from reading your book? What are some of the things that you, you know, kind of want you know, to inform the reader? Um, what we said, that you do have a purpose in being here, because some people find that, you know, to be striking. Um, me, I have a purpose? Yes, you do. And um, and then that we have two bodies, physical and spiritual, and your spiritual body is how you go to the other side when you die, or if you have any kind of spiritual experience where you leave your body, and that there's a physical process that happens when your body kind of um, – it turns counterclockwise, and it just kind of shoots the soul up the vagus nerve out the top of your head through the chakra system. Um, just to know that. And um, let's see, what else? To, to know that we get thoughts from the other side, that you have, you have all the loved ones over there, um, and love is the greatest energy there is, and those people are trying to get, get you messages different times of your life. And you will get thoughts. And you have to think about, is that thought from me or is that coming from someone else, right? Why am I getting that thought? And the way I get those is, is through intuition. And I think, oh, yeah, I just had that yesterday. Okay, so if I get that thought three times, I think about it. I think about whether that's mm -hmm. a really good idea or not, you know. So you do get yeah. messages from loved ones on the other side. If you want to find out more about that, you can make, um, you know, um, uh, an appointment with a medium, and a medium is who you go to when you want to speak to your deceased person. Uh, psychic is who you go to where you want to find the money that grandma hid in the attic. Where is it? Those kinds of questions. Um, and, um, you know, you pick a psychic or a medium the way you would pick a therapist uh, with somebody else saying, oh, I've been there, and I like this person. Um, and um, they all have different abilities, and I believe that a medium, they've they tested many mediums, and the best a medium can do is 85%, to be 85% accurate. Um, oh. And there's all kinds of mediums, so, you know, interview them just like you would a therapist and, you know, what do they believe and go on their website and, 
and the, the one who charges the most isn't necessarily the best medium. So, you know, it's just yeah. kind of a process. So you will be led, and I believe you are led by the people on the other side. And I now believe after, you know, years of talking to other mediums, and I work with a medium now in England, and uh, uh, she gets um, ideas from songs, and she'll just uh, she'll have a question, and she'll just have play a shuffle, and then she believes the spirits pick the songs, and she gets words from that. And, um, and I've gotten lots of messages that way. Um, and so each medium has their own way. Some use cards. Um, they use all different kinds of things. They get symbols. They get colors. They get names. Whatever. Um, but yeah. don't be afraid yeah. of it. As, Bill, as um, William James said, the best way to know about a medium is to go see one. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then you can make up your mind, you know? Yeah, I agree. Now, the, the idea of, of getting messages, I know for me, um, the – the discernment as to what were my thoughts and maybe what was guidance I was receiving, receiving to me that was a real difficult um, task for me to, you know, until I got to the point when I recognized, you know, that that something that came into my head was completely out of left field. I mean, it's like, like where right. did that come from? I mean, yeah, and so once that happened and I began to, um, you know, kind of, you know, feel as to what, what that's like, you know, rather than just my monkey mind talking, you know, that, that helped with, you know, learning a little bit more. It's, it's still a process, you know, and I, I still have you know, challenges in that area, but, but, uh, but it's, you know, that's the way you learn, so. Um, and I did notice. I have a, a, a yeah. quick story about that. Um, I was in New York City at a conference, and with a friend, we went down to the village, and we, uh, wanted to have lunch, and so we par- found a parking space on the street, and we're parking the car, and I get out, and I look at the car, and I think, this car is going to be robbed. And so I said, you know, I think we got to go back to New Jersey and, and have lunch on the water. Let's go to New Jersey. Oh, no, come on. You know, we just had three days, <laughs> and, and uh, we're, we're going to go shopping, and blah, blah, blah. So I allow myself to be convinced, and um, and we come back and fill the car, and we go home, open the trunk that is completely empty. So I thought to myself, you know, that little voice should be louder, right? That little voice in your head isn't loud enough. But then I thought after a day or two, you know, Karen, you need to be quieter. <laughs> so that was my big thing of, you know, finding that I can be quieter and really listen, you know. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's one. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that, you know, wanting the voice to be louder. But, um and that's what be quieter and, and follow, you know, and, and whenever you get those kind of messages, I think the more you follow them and give them their due attention, the the better. It's, it's kind of like, you know, if a friend was giving you advice and kept giving you advice and you didn't listen, then, they, you know, it's like, right. okay, what, you know, what good is it? But then, you know, if you've got, kind of got the advice, follow the advice, then, then you know, they're more apt to give you more advice. So. Yeah, I have an example of that in the ghetto house in Little Silver, if you, if you uh, want to read that, where a friend said to look at this house because I was needed a house because I was divorced, and I didn't want to live in that town. That's a really neat story about how I just thought I got lucky, but I realize now spiritually I was really led, you know. It's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Karen, our hour is up, so I really want to thank you for your time. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Well, so have I, and thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And now if people want to get in touch with you, is, is um, would that be best through the website? The website, and also they can email me at karen at karenherrick.com. So it's just great. my name and great. dot com. Perfect. Thank you. You you have a great day. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Dr. and Reverend Karen E. Herrick. And we've been talking about her new book, The Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal. And again, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is www.kareneherrick.com. And that's K-A-R-E-N-E-H-E-R-R-I-C-K.com. So I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, 
Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.